of Chicago, this is the Unenthusiastic Critics Halloween Movie Marathon. Hello everyone and welcome to the Unenthusiastic Critic. I'm Michael McDonough, I write about film and television at unaffiliatedcritic.com. With me today is the final girl, America's favorite scream queen, my lovely wife Nakia, also known as the Unenthusiastic Critic. Hello. On this week's episode, Nakia and I begin a five-week ordeal of chills and thrills, monsters and maniacs, hauntings, hackings, and horrors as we commence the Unenthusiastic Critic's 2018 Halloween Movie Marathon. On every Tuesday in October, that's five straight weeks, we'll be sitting down for Nakia's first viewing of at least one horror classic. And, in anticipation of the remake opening later this month, we're beginning this week with Dario Argento's dark fairy tale Suspiria from 1977. Nakia, how excited are you to spend the next five weeks watching horror movies? This will be the end of our relationship. You say that every year. You say that all the time. That's true. This will definitely be the end of our relationship, though. I mean, if I haven't driven you away yet, I don't know what it's going to (laughs) take. Do you have a favorite horror movie? See, that's... Or or if you are sticking to the story that you don't actually like any of them... It's not a story, it is the truth. Then, you know, what's what's an effective horror movie for you? I mean, I sort of like the sort of already stylized ones that aren't Mm -hmm. really scary. They're more sort of just eerie and atmospheric in that way. So, like, The Shining. Okay. I liked uh, Night of the Living Dead. Right. But again, that one is... I mean, it's a little gory, but it's it's just, it's more, I thought, just sort of a smart way to get at some of the sort of societal fears that were happening at the time. So you like a little political edge with your horror? A little political edge with my horror. Uh, yeah, so basically nothing that's actually scary. If you can make it pretty and smart, I'm on board. You have said before, because we watched, we watched a lot of horror movies when we were doing The Unenthusiastic Critic as a blog, mm-hmm. um, and everybody can find those blog posts at unaffiliatedcritic.com, but we watched, you know, we watched The Exorcist, we watched The Thing, Evil Dead, Reanimator, uh, the original Halloween, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, we watched a lot of stuff there. Yes. Um, and I remember you saying you were particularly susceptible to, on one end of the spectrum, the stuff that could really happen. Like, Halloween is just a guy, I mean, he's preternaturally tough yes. guy. <laughs> but basically, he's die. just a guy lurking in the dark yes. with a knife. Mm-hmm. And then at the other end of the spectrum, you said you were susceptible to that kind of the satanic. Mm-hmm. Stuff so like The Exorcist worked pretty well for you, right? Um, you like those those movies with this like weird Catholicism gone wrong <laughs> theme. Um, yeah, I mean horror films that sort of explore religiosity, I I find particularly interesting. Just because, I mean it's, that stuff is just sort of embedded in the ideology, right? There is this undergirding of evil and an evil that could somehow infiltrate you um, and that would need to be banished. And usually that that evil sort of came in the form of a woman who was maybe acting a little too empowered or, (laughs) (laughs) you know, homosexuality or things. So, right, so there were... It was a way to sort of couch biases in this idea of purity and goodness and godliness. Mm-hmm. So I just find stuff like that interesting. So like The Exorcist, we have, there's feminist themes with right. like the single mother and all of that. Right. There's the girl on the cusp of puberty, right. you know, coming into her power, so to speak. Exactly. And so she's becoming Satan. 
Right. That first period is rough. <laughs> so, yeah. So I find stuff like that interesting. And yeah, the other, I mean, the, the Halloween stuff, I mean, it really is just creepy guy decides to be creepy and goes around stabbing people, which is, I mean, that can just happen. So. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So what, what don't you like in a horror movie? I mean, I hate it, Reanimator. Start to finish. There was nothing about that that I enjoyed. You, you didn't, though, because you actually enjoyed it. No, Re-Animator. I really, really didn't you, enjoy it. You took offense you keep... towards the end, no. but you had fun with it. It was Re-Animator. not just towards the end, the because whole Because you can't thing. not have fun with Reanimator because well, it's a hysterically funny movie. I disagree. So anything that is in that vein, I'm not a fan. Um, you liked Evil Dead. But Evil Dead was just funny. Right. I mean, I, like I said, if it's funny and if it's smart and well done and also beautiful, though Evil Dead was not beautiful. <laughs> At the end of Evil Dead, you know, those kind of claymation yeah. demons dissolving was not beautiful. had a peculiar beauty to them. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I don't like... Like, I don't do the torture porn, scary no, stuff. No, I don't either. And that's, you know, picking movies for this series. As much as I like to torture you, there's a pretty narrow window of stuff that I'm willing to subject you to. I think Texas Chainsaw Massacre was right up to the edge mm-hmm. of what you actually want to watch. Yeah. Before you're just like, this is just unpleasant. Right. I don't want to right. watch this. Right. Yeah, yeah, I'm just, I don't want to see women abused just for the sake of them being abused. That's the other thing. A lot of, of horror movies has have a lot of, like, rape and sexual yeah. assault and all that stuff going on. I'm not like, into just, that either. Yeah. Like, we're not going to watch those movies. So. But you love horror movies. I despise horror movies. I think that it is a terrible genre of film, and I don't understand how anyone derives joy from being afraid. I've just never gotten the appeal of that at all. Because it's fun. It's fun to be scared in a safe, controlled environment. It's like doing drugs, basically. You get that artificial rush of adrenaline, that spike of emotion in a controlled context. Well, I grew up in the just say no generation. (laughs) Oh, God, that explains a lot about you. I was, you know, a D.A.R.E. graduate, so... You know, when you tell me it's just like drugs, that just means that I need to stay far away from it as possible. You don't think it's fun to be scared when you know ultimately that what you're scared of is not real? No, not at all. Because I am a black woman walking through America. There's enough scary stuff happening that I don't need any sort of augmented But those are re- those are real things. Right. But then you start introducing things that are coming out of my imagination that I'm then plopping into a real situation. It's just not good. It's not good. <laughs> it puts terrible thoughts in my mind and I already have enough going on there. Besides the fact that I don't know that it's all not real. I mean, I fully believe that poltergeist could actually happen. I fully believe <laughs> that the exorcist could actually happen. I fully believe that Candyman is just waiting for me on the other side of my mirror. So I'm just not. So if I went to the mirror right now and started saying Candyman, what, what would happen? I would punch you in the throat before you could say it <laughs> enough times to conjure him and then immediately burn the building down. I would prefer not to have him come into my space. When people are like, oh, I'm afraid of Cabrini Green because of crime. No, I'm afraid of Cabrini Green because that is where Candyman lives. So I will not be going there. <laughs> not that I could go there now anyway. I believe it's like an Apple store or something over there. Now, so. <laughs> it's like a baby gap now. <laughs> is this why you won't let me have a Ouija board in the house? Again, it's like, why would you want to invite evil into your space? I don't understand the appeal of that at all. There's nothing in pop culture that has told you that owning a Ouija board is going to end in good times. Absolutely nothing. 
So, no, I, I, I don't think we need to own. That is not of God. That is not my ministry. We will not be owning a Ouija board in the home. If there is this whole supernatural world swirling around us, sure. don't you want to know about it? Don't you want to be in touch with it? That's not my business. Isn't that more interesting than the normal crap we deal with day to day? It absolutely is. And there probably are people who are, you know, deeply tapped in and tuned in to that, you know, frequency. I am not. So that means <laughs> that's not my business. So. And see, this is the thing with you is you you think you were the person who would just check out of these movies. Oh, absolutely. At the very first sign yes. of anything going on. Yes, like in Poltergeist, you know, the minute the static came on the TV, you would throw the TV out. I would call Comcast and be like, is something going on? And they'd be like, no. I'd be like, oh, okay, pack up your shit. Because <laughs> <laughs> something terrible is amiss. And yet, just yesterday, our cat was spazzing out, mm -hmm. running around the apartment chasing invisible things. She came into my office and sat in the corner, perfectly still, staring directly into the corner at something that was not there. Mm-hmm. Like that kid at the end of the Blair Witch Project, which is exactly what the dog did in Poltergeist. <laughs> and I told you about this, and yet we are still in this apartment. So when that happened, I was on my way out of the apartment to go meet a friend. Uh -huh. And I said, I gave you very specific instructions of pack up our shit. We need to go. And then I came back and you were still here as though nothing had happened. So if we die in a terrible supernatural death, it is all your fault because I left specific instructions to get your shit in order. <laughs> I'm starting to think maybe you've seen too many horror movies. Well, I mean, that's it's probably my mom's favorite genre. Uh -huh. So I have seen quite a few growing up. They weren't all classics, but <laughs> I, I've seen my fair share. Yes. Hello. I'm sorry to bother you. Ah, so, what would you like to know? Do you believe in the existence of witches? Ah, I have known some women who are said to be witches. Really? I've studied the phenomenon for a long time. I'm of the opinion that it is an important appendage of contemporary psychiatry. Uh, you're skeptical, my dear. Well, uh, frankly, it is a little hard to believe. What do witches do? They are malefic, negative and destructive. Their knowledge of the art of the occult gives them tremendous powers. They can change the course of events and people's lives, but only to do harm. You don't believe me? No. Skepticism is the natural reaction of people nowadays, but magic is ever-present. In other words, quantum ubique, Quantum semper, quantum ad omnibus, creditor est. Which means that magic is everywhere and all over the world. It's a recognized fact. Always. All right. Well, I think we've got a pretty good selection of films mm -hmm. this year. I'm still kind of narrowing it down. Okay. But we are starting with Suspiria. So what do you know about Suspiria? Uh, I don't know anything about Suspiria. I think for some reason I have a feeling that it's sort of arty, but that's about all I know. Definitely the visuals are a big part of the appeal of mm -hmm. Suspiria. Okay, so a little background. Again, the year is 1977. It was directed by Dario Argento, uh, co-written by his girlfriend at the time, Daria Nicolodi, who said she based it, at least in part, on what was supposed to be a true story that had happened to her grandmother. Okay. Who was a pianist who went to this school 
where these weird things happened. Hmm. We can take that with a grain of salt, <laughs> I think. But so you've never seen any Argento films, right? No, I think this is the only one that I actually know of. I don't. I'm not I haven't either. seen very many, so I am not an expert on any of this. Mm-hmm. But I liked this quote. Jennifer Wood, writing at Complex.com, said, "Argento's films are the kind you pause on when you're flipping channels late at night, and by the time you actually wonder what the fuck am I watching <laughs> aloud, it's too late. You're hooked." And I think that's true. They're so strange, and they just sort of cast this weird spell on you. So he. He came up, he became famous in what is known as the giallo subgenre mm-hmm. in Italy, um, which is one of those terms that's kind of hard to define. Gary Needham, writing at Kinoai, says giallo is not so much a genre, but a body of films that resist generic definition. The word giallo means yellow in Italian. Mm-hmm. And it originally referred to these sort of pulpy, cheap crime novels that started coming out in the 40s in Italy after Mussolini had banned American and British pop culture books. Mm -hmm. So this kind of um, homegrown pulp fictions, all of which apparently had yellow covers. So that's why the term giallo got attached to them. Um, In the 60s, the word started getting applied to movies. And again, it's kind of this indefinable body of films. Cheryl Eddy at io9 says... If you were looking at a shelf of Giallo DVDs, you'd find films produced in Italy in the 1960s, 70s, and 80s that could also be classified as historical horrors, crime dramas, and mystery thrillers. She says the boundaries of what makes a Giallo aren't as well-defined as, say, those of the 1980s American slasher films, but there are stylistic elements that are inextricable parts of Giallo DNA. Nearly all contain gushing gore, erotic themes, a heavy emphasis on visuals, with things like script coherence often taking a back seat, questionable slash campy English dubbing, characters gripped by paranoia, gorgeous women in peril, and ruthlessly brutal masked killers fond of sharp objects, rope, and black leather gloves. That'd be a good band name. Gorgeous women in peril. Gorgeous women in peril. That's, yeah, I think there are a lot of good band names in that description. <laughs> so doesn't all that sound like fun? No. Sure it does. <laughs> um, I think Suspiria is not a pure giallo, it, uh, but again, I don't know, even know if you can't define the term, I don't know how you describe something as being a pure right. giallo. I think it has some supernatural elements that sort of stretch the genre, mm-hmm. if I understand it correctly. But again, I'm not an expert. I haven't seen that many of these movies. Suspiria is Argento's sixth film, and I think it's his most famous and most influential, certainly in the United States, where it was a pretty big success. Um, It was not a critical success, necessarily. A lot of critics just didn't get it. Uh, John Simon, writing at New York Magazine, said, It is a horror movie that is a horror of a movie. But I'm bum. (laughs) Where no one or nothing makes sense, not one plot element, psychological reaction, minor character, piece of dialogue, or ambience. So you got that to look forward to. Sounds like a good, you know. Janet Maslin in the New York Times enjoyed it a little more. She said Suspiria does have its slender charms, though they will most assuredly be lost on viewers who are squeamish. Mr. Argento's methods make potentially stomach-turning material more interesting than it ought to be. But I think in the decades since it came out, it has become a cult classic and is now recognized as this influential horror masterpiece. Mm -hmm. Uh, Guillermo del Toro has called it a work of pure madness and cinematic joy. And I think you can definitely see the film's influence on some of Guillermo's work, uh, particularly something like Crimson Peak. Mm -hmm. 
Peter Subzinski, writing at RogerEbert.com, says, Suspiria remains a truly one-of-a-kind cinematic experience. Anyone who considers themselves to be true students of the cinema owe it to themselves to experience it for themselves. So as a true student of the cinema, you owe it to yourself to I experience Suspiria. I never took on that mantle, so I don't feel any I think, responsibility I think, I think by participating in this process, you've taken on that mantle I don't think I point. have. I think I've taken on the mantle of, you know, constant shitter on. <laughs> so, but yeah, no. There's a difference? I think That's so. That's not being a true student of cinema? No, I don't think so. Yeah, no. I think I'm just, you know. I think I'm doing it wrong. Exactly. <laughs> okay, so we're going to go watch Suspiria. And my advice for you in watching this movie is to enjoy it as an aesthetic object. And maybe don't worry that much about silly irrelevancies like plot, character, dialogue, and acting. This is giving me a lot of hope for this experience. (laughs) For those of you watching along at home, the bad news is that Suspiria is currently streaming only on TubiTV.com. But the good news is that it's streaming for free as long as you're willing to watch a couple of ads. So if you haven't seen Suspiria, pause the podcast here and go watch it now because we're going to discuss it when we get back. All right. Are you excited? No. Are you looking forward to it? No. Are you in the right mood? No. Excellent. Let us begin. (laughs) Roses are red, violets are blue, but the iris is the flower that will mean the end of it. Okay, during the break, Nikki and I watched Suspiria. I will admit, before we begin, that this was a movie I only caught up with a few years ago. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I went into it probably much as you were going into it, having heard about it, but not really knowing what to expect. And I kind of didn't like it the first time I watched it. <laughs> As I suggested earlier, some of the acting is a little rough. The dubbing is very rough. The story doesn't always make a lot of sense. And I was like, what the hell is this thing? But I have seen it two or three more times since then. And I've seen a couple of other Argento films. And I kind of love them now. (laughs) Okay. They're so batshit crazy. They're so visually interesting. Yeah, I... It really does sort of just kind of cast this spell over me where I'm like, okay, just giving into this, just feel myself giving into the fever dream of this movie, and it and it works for me. What was your experience? So you know that scene <laughs> in the Big Lebowski where Maud is showing him the porn that Bunny is in? <laughs> yes. And the I acting come to fix the cobble. Yes, is just terrible. The story is ludicrous. <laughs> You can imagine where it goes from here. He fixes the cable. (laughs) 
So it was that with better lighting <laughs> and art direction. Yeah. I don't know what the fuck that was. Um, I didn't not like it. Okay. See, that's that, I think that's where I was on my first viewing. It, it's an odd film. It's a very odd film. But I think odd is not a bad place odd to start is not for a bla- horror. No, it's not a bad place to start. Because you're unsettled. You're like, what am I watching? Yeah. And it's not, I mean, it's it's predictable in that, I mean, the score basically tells you, it screams witch at you every <laughs> two minutes. So you you know that this is about this witches. This is the famous right. score by Goblin. Yes. Um, so there's not a lot of suspense <laughs> so much. But it does feel like I don't know where this is going to go next. Mm-hmm. I'm not quite sure what's happening. And it is it is just this sort of feeling of uneasiness throughout the whole thing. And part of that is, you know, the nature of a horror film. But then the other part of it is the bad dubbing. And the, so it's just, it keeps you a little off balance because you're just a little, everything feels sort of hyper artificial. Yeah, it was deliberately artificial. The sets and everything, that was all very deliberately artificial. It was all shot on studio, Mm -hmm. all the interiors. And I think what that does is it allows the director to achieve total control over the tone of the piece. So you get this kind of like expressionistic thing where it's like the walls Mm -hmm. and the lighting and just the angles of things. Like everything is contributing to the weird movie. Right. There are no rules in the universe or anything. Yeah. But I also do think, I think just horror, maybe more than any other genre, is kind of proof against all of that. Because I think the things that would throw you off in another movie just contribute to the the disturbing mm-hmm. nature of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, even the dubbing. And that was, let's let's get that out of the way. <laughs> that was, it was just normal practice in Italian movie making. They recorded no sound on set. Oh. And Jessica Harper, who plays the lead role, she was an American actress. Right. And she's talked about finding that so strange that they basically didn't record sound while they were shooting the movie. And so she'd hear like construction noises on other sets <laughs> and stuff going on while they were shooting the movie. Every actor spoke their dialogue in their own language. Oh. And it was just like, okay, we're going to put the entire soundtrack in afterwards. Record everything in ADR. So, yeah, it's weird, and it creates a weird effect. Yeah. So that's one element. Another element that makes it weird is Argento originally planned to shoot this with 10 or 12-year-old characters. Oh, that would have been inappropriate. That's what the producers thought. (laughs) They were like, if you make this movie with 12-year-old girls, it is going to be banned in every civilized country in the world. You can't do that. Yeah, no. Mm -mm. So Argento finally gave in and said, okay, we'll make it with, you know, 18 to 20-year-olds. But he didn't really change the script. Mm -hmm. He left the script... Like, there's weird scenes of the characters talking in very childish dialogue. Yes, yes. And that's why. Mm -hmm. And he did other things to emphasize that ultimately he still saw all these characters as children. There's subtle things in the set. The doorknobs in that school are ridiculously high. They're almost at eye level. So there's stuff like that. that, To make the women look small. To make it look like everybody's a child. Because he saw it as this sort of fairy tale story with, admittedly, a lot of blood. Which, to be fair, fairy tales originally had too. So, yes, I mean that's interesting because so she goes to this um, that ballet school in Germany, and that building 
particularly the interiors, it looks like this sort of warped dollhouse. And mm-hmm. they look like dolls sort of walking through this maze of a dollhouse. Yeah. The set is quite beautiful, actually. The sets are beautiful. Mm-hmm. And like I said before, that's it's something that goes back to, you know, German expressionist films where something like The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, where shadows and everything were painted right on the sets. Mm-hmm. And it was very artificial and it was just about creating a, an emotional mm-hmm. backdrop to the scenes. Sort of M.C. Escher sort of vibe to them. Yeah, there were one of the apartments they show has like Escher paintings oh, okay. on the wall. Um, I, I don't think they're literally Eschers, but I think it's the apartment where the first murder happens. When Pat goes to her when friend's Pat house. When Pat goes to her friend's apartment, that apartment has like weird mm-hmm. Escher wallpaper on it. Um, but yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff like that. All right, well, let's kind of go through the story here <laughs> a little bit. Alice falls down a big ass rabbit hole. <laughs> That's the story. <laughs> Accurate, but please elaborate. (laughs) Um, So we meet our main character, Susie, Mm -hmm. an American coming to study ballet at a world-renowned school in Germany. I gotta say, not a lot of ballet studying gets done in this film. No, not really at all. (laughs) Which makes sense because everybody's dying. So we see her sort of coming through the uh, German airport It all seems sort of normal, and she sort of exits the terminal, and there's this crazy torrential rainstorm happening, and Uh she cannot catch a cab to save her life. She finally catches a cab, has what I would consider a terrible cab ride, because at one point, I'm sure there flashes the image of a screaming face in the glass (laughs) partition in the cab, Uh which is like red flag number one. Just tell him to do a U-turn and just go back to wherever you You would have gotten from. back on the plane right Yeah, just right like, here. you know what? Never mind. Um, well, even right from the beginning, I mean, you, you said the airport seemed kind of normal, but first of all, it's very obviously fake, that mm-hmm. airport. It's like that just, just a very small set that she's walking through. And then as she's going out the door, that's where we get the first just everything bathed in this red light. Yeah. That's obviously not natural. It's obviously not actually coming from somewhere. It's just right. a tonal thing mm-hmm. where, you know, she's passing over the gateway into this magical world or whatever right. it is. But yeah, she's in the cab with the very surly cab driver. He's not happy at all. Um, but they pull up to the school and there's another young woman running out of the door who we will later learn is Pat. And we see that she's sort of screaming something to someone inside the school, but we can't hear her and Susie can't hear her. But she just sort of books it out of the school. (laughs) And Susie, again, ignoring red flags, goes up and rings the bell. And the person on the intercom says, you know, we don't know you. Go away. (laughs) Go away. Go away. Go away. And she's like, okay. Red flag number three. She gets back in the cab. I think, oh, Susie's smart. She's going to go back home. No, Susie went to sleep somewhere that night, and then she returns to the school the next day. Yeah. In the meantime, in that drive to wherever it is she's going to stay that night, we see Pat running through the woods. That's a great shot. In deep fear of her life. It's really great because... And I know, you, I think at the top you said that this was the sort of dark fairy tale. That scene reminds me of the scene in Snow White when the huntsman is chasing her through the forest. Yep. And it gets re- this really dark black forest and very sinister. And they're like, the tree branches are sort of grabbing out to her and ripping her dress and things like that. It, it, it basically sort of mimicked that perfectly. Yeah, you've already mentioned two of the movies that... Argento said were an inspiration for this, which is Alice in Wonderland and Snow White. Mm. 
Snow White in particular, he always talked about when he talked about this movie. But yeah, it's it's a fantastic shot it's of just all shot. those trees. And she's just this lone figure lit up by the headlights of the car right. running through the woods. And then the, the movie just kind of picks her pad up right. from that point and kind of forgets There's about Susie. No, yeah. We don't even know where Susie <laughs> spends the night. And we don't know Pat. Like when we switch <laughs> no. to Pat, we're just like, who, okay, who's this random yep, person? No idea who this person is. Settled on. Um, but yes, we end up going with Pat to her friend's house. And we learn that something has spooked her and she left the school. But she can't bring herself to sort of tell her friend what has happened. And that's when we get gory death number one. <laughs> <laughs> Pat's in the bathroom. The wind is sort of blowing outside the window, and she's almost sort of drawn to it and entranced. Yeah, yeah the storm is still raging on, mm-hmm. but Pat's friend, who she's staying with, has not brought in her lingerie right. that's hanging outside the window. This black lingerie is hanging right outside the window of Pat's bedroom. And she's trying to see through it. It's right. like gauzy black lingerie, and she's trying to see through it. Is there something out there? And it's great, because we can't tell either. Right. We're not sure. Trying, We're doing the same thing she's doing, which is trying to stare Straining through, through the window. Right. Um, we, like, we think we see something, but we're not sure. It could just be the lingerie, but maybe not. Uh, and then we get the a flash of, like, these terrible eyes, these, like, yellow <laughs> eyes in the lingerie which again harkens back to that scene in snow white because there's a moment when an owl comes out of the tree and it's these big oh, yellow eyes coming that. out of the sort of and so obviously she freaks the fuck out and, <laughs> and hairy arm i don't even know what that arm belongs to <laughs> at the end of the movie you still don't know who that arm belongs to Oh, is that uh, the director? It, it doesn't make it clear. I don't know. I think it's uh, Pablo, but we'll talk about him later. Oh. Yeah, no, it's not clear. <laughs> like, And that's one of the things about this movie is that you're like, who's the murderer? Who's the murderer? And you get to the end of the movie and it's like, fuck, I don't even My know answer who the murderer was is. witchy shit. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, witches be doing shit. Um, so, yes, this really half human, half beast arm <laughs> smashes through the bathroom window grabs Pat by the head and then almost tries to like suffocate her against the window pane just uh-huh. sort of smashes her face into the window but doesn't smash through it initially Argento if if we watch more Argento films you'll see he has a glass fetish that's uh-huh. something he's known for mm-hmm. is these he's a put him on the glass guy glass mm-hmm. scenes nice. yes so yeah so finally her head goes through the window and then this is such a weird-ass movie. Her <laughs> friend is sort of freaking out outside because she hears the commotion going on, yeah. but somehow knows that there's a murderer because she starts running to her neighbors and is like, there's a murderer, there's a murderer, help me. And obviously nobody's opening their door because I would not open my door either. <laughs> so we go back to the friend who's in some weird outdoor space. Yeah, the space is the space gets really <laughs> hard to understand. <laughs> like, where is she? She's not in that room no, where anymore. The fuck she is. Has she been? I think she's been pulled out. But like, what is that? Onto space? like a roof? It's really confusing. It's, yeah, it's disorienting. The whole thing is disorienting. But again, I think it works. It does it's because like, you, I don't know what yeah, the fuck is going on. You're constantly like, uh, what's happening? And then she gets stabbed like 82 times. <laughs> Just egregious. Increasingly bloody, gory. <laughs> At one point, we get an actual shot of her chest is open. Cracked open. You her see heart, the you heart see her beating. Heart, and then you see him he stab stabs her. Directly, directly in the in heart. The heart. Um, stabs her some more. <laughs> then 
ties a rope around her neck. Yeah, just in case that wasn't just enough. Just in case she's still alive, which I, I appreciate the thoroughness. Um, <laughs> and at this point, she's like on the roof of the building. This like fantastic stained glass right. skylight, I sort guess it is. Thing. Right. So he pushes her through that. And because the rope is around her neck, it ends up, you know, she, she hangs there. Smashes through the ceiling. Right. And then... Conveniently, <laughs> the falling shards of glass also kill her friend yeah. who is screaming below. So that's a... There's so much blood. There's a lot. As there would be. <laughs> she was stabbed a shit ton, then hung, then thrown through a stained glass window. And it's that fantastic 70s blood that we saw in yes. Dawn of the Dead. That it's like syrupy. It's a little pink. Yeah. It's a little unnatural. Yes. It is. And it's funny because it's like Wes Anderson got dark, like because the, <laughs> the the architecture and the art design of the building sort of and maybe Wes Anderson sort of take that sort of uh, perfect symmetry of yeah. things and it's fantastic geometric yes, shapes, beautiful and, colors, mm-hmm. and just perfect sort of mise en scenes. And but then there's all this blood and gore in the middle of it. So yeah, it was. You know. You have to appreciate that set piece. I appreciate it. Okay. I absolutely appreciate it. So, yeah. That's two deaths. <laughs> two gory, gory deaths. So, we're back at the school. Susie. Yeah, it's, now it's daytime. Yes. Susie's finally gotten into the school. Which, again, just not, just ignoring all the flags. And she meets the weird teacher. Take your pick. There are, there are so, so many, many weird, weird characters. There, I, I would say, from a storytelling perspective, there are too many weird <laughs> characters. Because we don't actually get to know any of them very well. No, we don't. But they're all just weird. They are very odd. There's um, Madame Blanc is sort of in charge. Right. Dripped in diamonds. and That's, This is uh, Joan Bennett, who had a career going back all the way to the silent hair. Mm-hmm. She was a famous actress. And then her, like, second-in-command, her story. Stern German second in command, I guess, which is Miss Tanner, mm-hmm. Alida Valley. It's like, I guess what I'm saying from a storyteller, like, I don't even know why there are those two characters, because they sort of serve the same role. Yeah. They're kind of the matrons in charge. Right. I mean, and, and again, so we get that sort of fairy tale setup of, like, evil stepmothers sort of vibe. Right, but we have multiple. That's we have what mul- I'm saying. Well, you know, you got to have two. There's also the... Even sterner-looking housekeeper, yeah. nanny person. That's that's an odd character. And then the nephew, Alfred, <laughs> who's like Little Jack Corner if the Christmas pie was wrong. Like, if it was just... <laughs> this weird blonde evil, kid. Evil, In, evil. like, 19th century he's, clothing. It's an odd character. Yeah, this is... Madame Blanc says he's her nephew, I right. think. yes. But again, he doesn't really have a huge part in the movie. None of these characters, we don't learn much about no, any of them. They just all add They're to the creepy vibe. They're just weird people yeah. in, the, in the school. Yeah. There's the blind piano player and his dog. That's a random-ass character. That's one I did not understand at all. I don't understand why he was there. And then you had the butler who only mm. spoke Romanian. That's Pablo, yes. Pablo, who apparently had severe gingivitis and <laughs> so had all of his teeth replaced so now he has a very beautiful smile this is a really odd miss tanner says this is pablo he's very ugly isn't he yes except for his smile because he got his teeth done <laughs> um so it's, that's just weird so yeah so we're at the 
dance school and she meets her fellow classmates and this is where I think what you were talking about the sort of childlike nature of the way the girls talk to each other yes because they're very sort of mocking in a childish way yeah. and they seem very immature right and, mm-hmm. it's sort of like how when men write scenes about sleepovers for girls and like oh they're having pillow fights in their lingerie of course it's like you don't actually know what women sound like when that's, they speak that's not what you do when you it have sleepovers not what we do no oh. Not I, I've been misinformed by a hundred years of movies. You, yeah, it would. Be, it's like much more, you know, flannel pajamas <laughs> and zit cream or something. Like it's not sexy at all. Um, a lot of head wraps. Uh, so there's all these elements introduced that you think are going to amount to something. Mm-hmm. Like Susie finds out right away that. Pat has been murdered. They tell her that right. like, as soon as she arrives at the school, oh, one of our students was murdered last night. Right. There are police there investigating mm-hmm. in the in the lobby. They're interviewing people about the murder when Susie arrives. We never see those police again. No. There's like seven other murders that happen in the movie. We never see the police again. There's no detective story. No one's investigating anything as far as we can tell. <laughs> so that's one kind of red herring storyline. Um, the other one I thought of, oh, there's the cute boy. Right. Uh, Mark, I think his name is. Sure. It doesn't matter. He doesn't matter. No, he ends up not. Mm-hmm. He's set up as this, like, love interest right. for Susie. He's flirting with her in the first half of the movie, and she's obviously interested in him. In the second half of the movie, I don't even know where he no, is. He, he completely disappears. disappears. Yeah. There's no love story. He doesn't rescue anybody. <laughs> He's just gone. Then there's this weird plot point where Susie's, they say they have no room at the school for Susie. Some mistake was made, and they don't actually have a room for her. So she's going to stay in town with this girl, Olga. Right. Um, So she stays with Olga for like a night. Mm -hmm. Then she comes back to the school, gets mysteriously sick during the one dance class that we see in the movie. (laughs) And then while she's sick, they just move her into the school. Right. It's like Sunset Boulevard. They just go and get her stuff and they bring it in (laughs) like you're moving in after all. Again, it's like it's just a weird element. It's like I don't even know why it's there. Right. Well, particularly towards the end when we realize that they don't want her there, that she is a problem. Right. At the end of the movie, so they're like, saying well, we got to get rid of that American bitch. So why, why did, did you... you bring her into the school? <laughs> I'm confused. But yeah, so she she's on her way to dance class, and we see the weird maid and little Jack Horner. Mm. hanging out and um, sort of staring at her ominously. And then the goblin... Down that great hallway. Yeah, it's a great hallway. Deep red. The goblin score kicks in. And yeah. Witch! Um, <laughs> and, and... You can sort of tell when something sinister is yes, happening. Because that, that goblin score, kicks score in just cranks and up to 11. Let's you know that shit ain't right. Um, <laughs> and if that wasn't enough, the lighting changes. Right. Right. So she just all of a sudden is sort of stricken with something and she gets sort of sweaty and delirious and out of it. And she goes to dance class and she tells. Oh, is that the scene where the nanny's sitting in the hallway? Yes. And, like and she's like shining something. The silver yeah. at her and the light catches yeah. her eyes. And that's when she starts getting dizzy. Yeah, yeah. I've forgotten that. And she's like, I don't feel well. I can't dance today. And the Mrs. Tanner is like, well, bitch, you about to dance. <laughs> so she's. Right. He has fat. you stop paying in sweat. <laughs> So she starts dancing in this odd way that, like, it's almost as if she were possessed. Like, her body is leading her. Yeah, she's like a limp marionette. Right. She's just kind of, like, 
It's a she's very... almost passing out, but she's still dancing. I've seen. Yeah. And then she passes out and starts bleeding from the nose and the mouth. And so that's when they decide to move her into the school because she needs to be sort of watched over, quote unquote, is what they say. I, I have to say, and, you know, God bless Jessica Harper, lovely girl. Uh, she's in a movie I like very much called My Favorite Year with Peter O'Toole. That was some bad acting. It's not great. During that sick scene. Yeah. It's really, really bad. It's not great. It's the, oh, I have a headache acting. <laughs> you just put your hand up to your head. It's, oh, I have a headache. <laughs> I don't feel well. But yeah, so it's terrible. But it's but it's interesting in the way that she does it because she does sort of convey that woman not in control of her body sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And then she bleeds that beautiful blood from her nose and mouth. Uh, and she wakes up and finds herself moved into the school against her will. And a very sketchy-ass doctor who's like, just drink some wine. Um, Another character... We will never see again because in the movie. men don't matter in this movie. This movie is driven by women, which you have to respect. I do respect, but then it's like, well, then why are they there in the mm. first place? Um, we'll meet some more random ass men later in the film. Yeah, so they put her on this sort of what they're calling like a, a sort of bland diet in order to give her time to heal. And we later find out that they've actually been basically sedating her, right? Every Drugging night. her. So again, we're back to the sort of Snow White eating the poison apple. Mm-hmm. Falling asleep, sort of thing, and I don't know. I like it would be interesting, and there has probably been some sort of like scholarship or thinking about this of like the the prevalence of putting women to sleep in fairy tales and movies, hmm. um, because that seems to always be just like, oh, you just put them to sleep, right? And and that just sort of takes them out of you know gets them out of the way, and they're sort of easier to control. You just put them to sleep. Right, Snow White eats the poisoned apple. Right. Get the whole Sleeping Beauty storyline. Yeah. So now that she's moved into the school, she becomes good friends with Sarah, who was good friends with Pat. Right. The woman who was pushed through a glass ceiling. (laughs) Um, And (laughs) Sarah's like, things aren't quite right here, but I can't quite put my finger on what's wrong. But, you know, just keep an eye out on things. And then we get what I probably found to be the most disturbing scene. (laughs) Susie's combing her hair, sitting at the mirror, combing her hair, and you see something falling from her hair, but you can't quite catch a glimpse of what it is exactly. And then she looks down at her comb, and there are maggots (laughs) in the comb just squirming around, and she's pulling maggots out of her hair, and then you look up, and the the ceiling is covered in maggots, and they're just dropping from (laughs) the ceiling. Just a ridiculous number of maggots. all the maggots. Pouring through this ceiling. All the maggots in the world are now in this school, and they're falling on top of these girls in their rooms. And it was just, I was just like, ugh, I could not, I, I wanted to and we cut to the hallway and all the girls are pouring out of their rooms covered in maggots. Horrified. <laughs> and Mrs. Tanner goes up to the the attic to sort of investigate where they're coming from. And there's all this old meat, these crates of old meat. And it's just so the yeah. Argento gives you this close up of the old rotting meat and the maggots squirming all over the meat. And it was just like, all right, mm, that's enough. Yeah, the story they tell is that they got crates of bad food. Right, which that's not how that happens. <laughs> Nobody's going to ship you maggots of meat. Like, it's just... And whether there's a real explanation for where those maggots came from, again, we don't know. And that's, again, where I'm just it like, may just be. I guess witchy shit? Like, that's... <laughs> I keep, That's my... That's how I have to keep sort of explaining these things to myself. It was like, oh, okay, I guess this is some witchy shit. 
Uh, let's see. Okay, so after the Magan apocalypse, mm-hmm. all the girls are moved into the gymnasium. The gymnasium because mm-hmm. they can't sleep in their rooms because mm-hmm. their rooms are swarming in maggots. Mm-hmm. So again, we get this deep red. Deep red. Scene. Coming from nowhere. Like, oh, no, no, no. It's Yeah, it's supposed to be totally yeah. dark, I think, in this kind of dormitory, makeshift dormitory setup. That's where she and Sarah start mm-hmm. talking about the secrets that are happening in the school. Right. And then this, so where the girls are is covered, surrounded by curtains. And then on the other side of the curtain, right behind Susie and Sarah, this figure comes mm-hmm. in and lays down on a bed and starts snoring. Yes. And Sarah says... I think that's the directress. The directress. The director of the school, who was supposed to be away, Mm -hmm. for some reason came in and slept on the other side of the curtain in the dormitory. Yes. We don't know why she would have done that, except to move the plot along. (laughs) It's just witchy shit. It's just witchy shit. Isn't that Lucy Lawless on The Simpsons where they're questioning her and she's like, about Xena? Oh. She says, whenever you see something like that, a wizard did it. (laughs) It's convenient. It's convenient. (laughs) It's witchy shit. Witchy shit. (laughs) So, yes, Sarah is sort of sharing with Susie her misgivings about the school that, you know, the directress... That something sort of is amiss, something is wrong, and that Pat, before she met her untimely death, was trying to tell Sarah, you know, what was going on, and she she never fully got the story. And all we hear is the directress sort of snoring loudly and struggling to breathe during the whole scene, and that adds a whole other sort of creepy layer to it. (laughs) And... We will come to find out at the end that the directress is actually this grand witch who, you know, started the school and and is the sort of epicenter of all the witch power. And then I thought, given her difficulty breathing while she was sleeping, that they probably could have just waited it out and sleep apnea would have taken her. (laughs) And like soon, because she was struggling and she did not have one of those CPAP machines. So... So the long-term danger yeah. was, I mean, was she not was, that she was great because she was on her last <laughs> legs. The directress, by the way, uh, I think it was Jessica Harper, one of the actresses in this film. I saw her say that the the person who played the directress was basically some like ninety-two-year-old hooker that Argento found in Rome and oh brought God. in to play this part. She definitely has sleep apnea. <laughs> um, Probably not anymore. <laughs> the next ridiculous thing is we see the creepy maid and little jack horner <laughs> walk up on the blind piano player's dog yes and at first i was like oh they're about to kill that dog but that's not what happens because we see miss tanner come in to confront the piano player and say your crazy dog bit little jack horner yeah so you need to leave which is a weird moment because it's a scene we don't see right you know Argento loves his blood. You'd think we might, maybe we would have seen that scene. Mm-hmm. We don't even see the kid bleeding or anything. Right. So we don't even, we're not even sure it really happened. Right. I think they were looking for a, a way to get rid of the piano player for some reason. And so, again, that brings me back to why are all these people in the building that you don't actually want in the building? <laughs> because we've not been given any reason to think the piano player suspected anything no. or was causing any trouble. So I'm not sure why they did witchy shit to his dog <laughs> and kicked him out in the street. 
But they do they so they they fire him over the whole dog thing, right? And he throws a temper tantrum on his way out. Yes, very angry. Mm-hmm. So he's walking home <laughs> at night with his damn dog, and he comes upon this courtyard plaza yes. place, and then we get witch because the score <laughs> kicks back in. <laughs> And so, okay, but stop. <laughs> again, that's a fantastic set piece. It is. Piece. I'm not saying that. it's beautiful. This huge, wide open, empty yes. courtyard with like these sort of these pillared buildings kind of surrounding Roman column buildings. And we get this it's sort just of such a big empty space overhead view. So it seems as though there is some sort of evil presence overlooking him, right. but we don't see anything, and obviously he can't see anything. Because it's and, it's creepy, and he is getting nervous right he is getting well scared. his dog is barking as if someone is, is there. freaking out right but we can see he's in this big empty space there's no one around him right so he should be safe we can't see anyone and then we remember he's blind right so he can't even see what we're seeing which is that there's no one around him right and we're expecting something to happen somebody's gonna jump out and stab him somehow right. even though we can see there's no one within 100 yards of him right and the camera does this great thing where our point of view is the sort of at the top of one of the buildings surrounding the plaza right. looking like down somebody on up him. there watching him and the camera sort of swoops down as if it were like a bird coming mm-hmm. to attack him but there's still nothing and then we turn, and the fucking dog <laughs> jumps up and rips the shit out of his neck. And he's just like, oh, fuck, your CNI dog just killed you. Witchy shit. Witchy shit. And so the dog is basically fucking chewing on his face for like 20 minutes. And the police come and sort With of With some it away. questionable but effective... It is, uh, yeah, effects there. What's, what's the word I'm looking for? Um... Basically, there's like a fake dog head oh, yes. that's like chewing on his throat. <laughs> it doesn't look quite real, but it's still effective and gruesome. It's disgusting. There seems to be something particularly just cruel about a man dying at the fangs of his own seeing eye dog. Of his own dogs. seeing eye dog, right? It's just like, that's fucked up. That's real <laughs> fucked up. So that's how he goes out. Yeah. So all the while, uh, Sarah's becoming more and more paranoid. Yes. And at this point is going to Susie's room every night saying, you know, something in the water ain't clean. We need to <laughs> we need to do something about this. The teachers are up to something. They're they say they're leaving the school but at night. But we they're don't not hear the door really closed. They never actually leave. They stay in the school. So they're doing something. But Susie has been drugged pretty much every night, so she yeah. can't focus and can't quite understand what Sarah is talking about. So it's pretty much useless. And so we see Sarah sort of counting the footsteps of the teachers as they walk through the school to try to figure out the path that they're taking mm-hmm. so she can sort of figure out what they're doing. Which is one of those things that has a kind of fairy tale logic to mm-hmm. it. Like you can see a kid trying to do that. It doesn't really make any sense. No. The footsteps, you know, we can count right. 27 footsteps down <laughs> this hallway and then they turn right. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't no, really it doesn't make work sense. But... but for the purposes of this film... <laughs> It absolutely makes sense. And there's actually, there's a great scene of Sarah and Susie in the pool. They're swimming in the pool. And again, you get that sort of overhead shot that gives you this feeling that they are being watched. That there's this sort of evil presence overhead just sort of waiting to pounce on them. They're just treading water in the middle of the pool. Like just trapped animals, you know. And, you know, nothing happens to them, but it feels ominous and it feels as if, you know, you're you're one second away from, you know, some gory death. 
So one night, Susie passes out. Sarah's still awake, and she realizes that they're coming for her. So she tries to make a run for it through that crazy maze Mm -hmm. of a dance school. And she runs into this room and shuts the door. And Is she in the attic? I guess she's... I don't it looks like it's, it's kind of an attic space. It's hard to space. sort of tell so, where yeah. she is. But so she puts this sort of latch down on the door to lock it. And her assailant has a little knife. And they're trying to unhook, like slip. They slipped it through the door to unhook the hatch. And then it takes them like 40 fucking minutes. <laughs> it's literally all they have to do it's is just lift go, up and the latch would pop but off. But they just sort of keep hitting it. And but not, you can't quite get it. And I, so I don't understand that. But So in the meantime, it takes her a while. Uh-huh. But she crawls up to the, a window and, you know, escapes into another room. Unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> this is my favorite. The room stores all the barbed wire <laughs> that you could ever need. Just coils and coils of barbed wire. All tangled all up. All tangled up in the floor of this room. That she falls into. And then... I mean, you got to keep the barbed wire somewhere. Do you, though? And you should keep it all, you know, coiled neatly up. But who does? It's like Christmas lights. They Eventually, it all gets tangled up anyway. And it's like watching <laughs> a fish flop around on the ground. She's just struggling and trying to get out of this barbed wire. But it's, it's just sort of grabbing. And she can't get out of it. And it's scratching her up. <laughs> And it's just a ridiculous set piece. Like, it's just a... You know what would be a good idea? If she fell into a pile of barbed wire and just couldn't quite get out of it. And that's not even enough. Because while she's all tangled up in that and getting cut to shit, we see the hairy black hand come in and... Slit her wrist. I mean, her throat. Yes. So, I will say, uh, Stefania Cassini, who plays Sarah... Mm Mm-hmm. Has said that that wire, though it it didn't actually have the barbs on it, you know, Argento was like, yeah, just just jump into the jump into the wire and just thrash around, <laughs> and that's what she did. And she said it it really was like it was all like binding her and cutting into it's her. Fucking wire. She said when she was done with that scene, she looked like she'd been bitten by a thousand ants. It <laughs> <laughs> pinched her skin all over her. Oh, Argento's just like, yeah, yeah, you know, just, just go, go ahead and see what happens. <laughs> So that's the end of Sarah, alas. Sarah's gone. So once she finds out that Sarah's gone, Susie realizes that something is amiss. Mm Mm-hmm. And figures, I probably shouldn't eat this food that they've been sending me anymore. Yes, yeah, so this I, wine that's so obviously drugged. Just not That wine. it is bathed in red light every right. time they set the tray down. So she throws out all the food and she goes to see this psychiatrist that Sarah had been seeing. Did I miss the part where Sarah talked about that? She mentioned that she had a friend named whatever that dude's name Okay, is. she did. So she okay, did mention him. I must have yes. missed that part. Because when, when Susie went to see that guy, I was like, who? Who is this guy? Yeah. Sarah had, had told Susie that it was his, her friend. And then we've come to find out that he was also her shrink. Um, yes. And therefore probably shouldn't have been telling Susie. Right. Anything, there was but, no know. doctor-patient confidentiality there because he was basically <laughs> like, yeah, that bitch went crazy. And, you know, you can't really believe what she was saying about the witches because she lost her mind. Yes. He says, bad luck isn't brought on by broken mirrors, but by broken minds. Mm. <laughs> Spoken like a doctor you actually So he doesn't to. believe in witchcraft. Right. Right. But then he brings, yes, he calls in this other old professor. Dr. Eyebrows. And (laughs) he deeply believes in witches and basically says, you know, the woman that founded the dance school that you go to is a witch. 
she's queen bitch witch and that place <laughs> Helena is, Marcos yes. they say her name is and this is just this guy is just exposition yes guy. he's like yes there's this evil witch Helena Marcos who founded the school and there's a whole coven as a school of dance and occult, and occult sciences science. as you would <laughs> as you would when we walked by yes just today we walked by a school of cosmetology and automation auto repair or auto repair yes, yes. so, so you know, see it you know it happens they go together. Uh, so now that she's, you know, gotten the sort of confirmation that the school is built on evil, mm-hmm. she goes back and finds herself alone in the school because everyone else has gone to some theater performance and she was the only person that wasn't invited right. for some reason, conveniently. This is the first night she hasn't eaten the drugged food. Right. She, so she's awake. She throws the food down the toilet. Mm-hmm. She pours the wine in the sink. Uh, is that when we get the bat? That's when we get the bat. <laughs> she <laughs> hears something out of the, outside the window, and as one does, she opens it, and a bat flies in and attacks her and <laughs> flops around on the floor, and then she smashes it with, like, a garbage can or something, <laughs> and then goes on to figure out the great mystery of the school. Yes. So she follows Sarah's map that she'd been putting together by counting the footsteps mm-hmm. of the teachers. And she remembers, you know, the, the first scene when we meet Pat is we we see her mouthing something, but we can't hear her because the rainstorm and everything like that. And then finally, Susie remembers what she said, which was the secret is in the irises or something yes. like that. Yeah. And there are three irises painted on the wall and the blue iris is a secret uh, madame blanc's office the blue iris is like the secret entrance to the witch tunnel (laughs) so she opens it she goes through the witch tunnel the witch wing the witch wing and she finds them doing some sort of secret ceremony and that's when we hear madame saying you know we got to get rid of that american bitch she's too nosy she's gonna ruin everything Mm -hmm. and then we see what they've done with sarah's body which is horrifying some kind of horrifying crucifixion Mm -hmm. ritual very just disturbing nails through the eyes and all kinds of shit and she finds the layer of the directress mm-hmm. who again has very serious sleep apnea and <laughs> she remembers what eyebrow doctor told her which was that if you kill the main witch then you can you know defeat the entire coven so she decides that she's going to kill the directress to get rid of all of the witches the directress wakes up and does some witchy shit and disappears <laughs> and like brings reanimates we, we get glimpses of her face though this is not an face. attractive woman no this she's is, old as shit she's and burned like and 400 years old yeah. and yes um she reanimates sarah to come and attack Susie. but before she can Susie, what the hell happens so oh. yes the old witch helena has turned invisible right but Susie can sort of see her Either shimmering on the bed, yeah, or um, she can see where she's sitting on the bed yeah. and stabs the invisible shape on the bed through the neck, through the neck, and manages to kill mm-hmm. Helena. Which is another one of those moments. I mean, you talked about the sleep apnea. I'm just like, is it really that easy? Apparently, this witch has been around for 400 years or whatever, and you really just had to stab her in the she's neck, and walk she's and fine. Her neck, yeah. Oh, I'm invisible. You can't see me. Oh no, you stabbed. Yeah. The place where I was just sitting, and now I'm dead. You would think they would, you know, yeah. protect I don't know how that this a little witch bit that long. No. Uh, so that's it. I mean, that pretty much that's breaks the, the spell. Witch, the witch dies. All the other witches die. And the school sort and of the implodes. School starts to explode. Yeah. 
<laughs> and then it ends that abruptly. Which is another scene that, you know, we talk about not a huge budget or a lot of safety concerns going on. Jessica Harper says, you know, running out of that school was the scariest part of the movie for her <laughs> because stuff was actually exploding oh all God. around her. All these glass things were exploding and sending shards through the air. And then the school burns down and uh, I guess that's it. We're, we're just yeah, outside. That, that's it. That's, she's She's done. Movie over. <laughs> Fairy tale is over. Don't know what the hell happened to the rest of the students. <laughs> okay, so summarizing the plot like that does not do this movie justice, though. Because we have to talk about the visuals. We have to talk about the lighting. Mm-hmm. It it really is just gorgeous. Yes, it is a beautiful film. Um, And this was... It was filmed in this Technicolor process, and I'm not an expert on this, but basically that's what gives you those, like, Deep, deep primary colors, Mm -hmm. this sort of three-strip Technicolor process. That is how, like, Snow White was filmed. Those Mm. old cartoons were filmed. They'd give you those really red reds and those really blue blues. And I love the way Argento uses them. I mean, it's not subtle, certainly. It's whatever the opposite of subtle is. Mm -hmm. But it's very effective. It, It is deliberate. So there are... What I noticed watching it this time is there are scenes without color Mm -hmm. that are like these moments of safety these moments of security Mm -hmm. so an example of that is Susie's bedroom in the school Mm -hmm. is mostly white but then like there's one scene where it's like she's in bed and I think it's when she's talking to Sarah and they are safe for the moment but there's blue light coming in from outside the window and there's red light on the other side of the room by the door. Mm-hmm. So it's like this space without that deep color is a safe space for the moment. Mm-hmm. And I think that's true, too, when Sarah is in whatever that space is with the latch. Because that's another room that's just sort of like gray, right. white. Um, and she's hiding there. And that guy can't get that latch open. Mm-hmm. So she's safe there for the moment. And then she looks up at that little window. And there's color pouring in through that window. And she decides to go for it so it's like again she's kind of left this colorless place of safety and gone into mm-hmm. the evil that the color signifies right. there's a lot of stuff like that there's um that scene of the piano player and his dog in the plaza that's a white space mm-hmm. but then there's just these like little pops of color including one of the only moments of color in that scene is the dog has a, this red cross right. on it so again, it's kind of like a little sim- a little sign that the danger is the dog because mm-hmm. the dog is the only color in, in that, that space, scene. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on like that that's really cool. It's very heavy handed. <laughs> <It's, you know, laughs> and like you said, once the music ramps up, right. and once the red light ramps up, we know exactly what is coming. Mm-hmm. I I almost felt watching this that you could see. I mean, I think you can see the influence of this film on a lot of filmmakers. I think David Lynch. You can definitely see some Argento in David Lynch's stuff. That scene we talked about in the woods Mm -hmm. seemed very Lynchian to me. There's a scene towards the end where I think it's when Susie has just entered the witch wing where she's going through these deep blue curtains. And that's very Lynchian, Mm -hmm. you know, blue velvet and Twin Peaks. Those curtains with a deep color in them. Oh, I also think this was pre-music video, mm-hmm. but I think you can see that that's how watching it almost felt to me. It was like watching a two-hour music video. Hmm. Okay. Again, it's not realistic filmmaking. It's this kind of heightened, purely emotional mm-hmm. filmmaking, very artificial. But no, I, I think it really works. I don't know why it works completely. <laughs> I mean, I think it does a good job of creating a mood. So even if 
you know, there are holes in the story, which there are just many questions. <laughs> it's still odd enough and off kilter enough to evoke a response mm-hmm. um, and to make you uncomfortable in a way that, you know, the good horror films really do. And a lot of that is owed to the Goblin score. Yes. I mean, that is an amazing score. It is, And as sort of heavy-handed as it is, it doesn't take away from what the film is doing. I think the scene where she goes and talks to the two professors, mm-hmm. that that whole scene is such a stark contrast to the rest of the movie. Because it's like, first of all, we're actually outside. Right. We're in daylight. We're on this wide open. In the normal ac- world. In actual set. We're location shooting, whereas everything else is studio and artificial. And there's no music in that scene. Right. The goblin score is gone. So that, I mean, that kind of shows you how effective the lighting and the music is in making this sort of dreamlike world right. in the rest of the film, just because that's such a contrast when we just step outside it mm-hmm. for just a minute. Yeah. All right. Well, did you did you find it scary? I did not find it scary. I found it gory, and it's just an odd. It, it so you're just you're a little you know ill at ease through mm-hmm. the whole thing, but it wasn't scary. No. You did not find it suspenseful in the... I mean, suspenseful in the sense that I would just be like, what the fuck is he going to do next? Like, just, <laughs> <laughs> just like <laughs> that sort of suspense. It was just like, I'm just interested to see what the next scene is going to look like or what uh-huh. they're going to do. But yeah, I mean, there's a shit ton of blood. But yeah, no, not scary. No. Okay. Did it make you want to watch more Dario Argento films? Sort of. I'm interested. Okay, yeah. good. I think we will watch maybe one called Phenomenon okay. with a very young Jennifer Connelly mm. in the lead American naif role. Mm-hmm. Uh, that movie's plot makes this one look completely simple <laughs> and logical. <laughs> we start from the point where she is this, and again, I think she's a, I don't remember, she's a student going to some school like this again, mm-hmm. same kind of situation. But she has psychic powers where she can control and communicate with insects, and that's just like the start of the film. And then it gets weirder from there. It's wonderful. Okay. <laughs> If it's weirder than Labyrinth, then that's that's all right. <laughs> okay, any final thoughts on uh, Suspiria? We don't actually know what those witches were up to, do we? Maybe they weren't so bad. Well, I mean, they were murdering people, so... But they were murdering people when they found out about them being witches. What was the witch agenda in the first place? We don't know. Well, I mean, the Dr. Eyebrows was like, they have to do witchy shit in order to accumulate a massive amount of personal wealth or something mm. to that effect. So I don't, I mean, I don't, so I don't know if it was like, Oh, we're going to get tuition from these bitches. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Um, Cause initially I was like, Oh, witches. And they must be like drinking the blood of the young girls in order to stay young or something. But that didn't seem to be happening. Um, right. That's what I thought the first time I watched it too. And I thought, and that to me explained why, the directress was mm-hmm. down in the dormitory with the girls, mm-hmm. like she was somehow soaking up energy yeah, like from these other, young yeah. girls. But yeah. if that's the case, they never explain no, that. That's again, it's witchy shit. I don't but know. But maybe that's okay. Maybe that, I mean, that's kind of how fairy tales work. Kids watch or listen to fairy tales and kind of fill in those pieces. Mm-hmm. And it makes this sort of archetypal sense that, you know, you can't really explain. But it's like, okay, and that's, you know, something like that is happening here, obviously. <laughs> sure. What, what's what's your takeaway from this movie, life lesson-wise? I think that's one thing horror movies do for us, is they teach us life lessons. I mean, don't stay in environments where little Jack Horner's hanging out. <laughs> There's a random 
non-English speaking butler who looks like he's going to steal your lighter. Uh, I mean, it's just there's so. Just, just read the signs. If you're in a cab and there's a screaming face <laughs> sort of flashing in the the partition glass, just no, nope, just go back to the airport. There's just you know, if you're going to go abroad for a dance school, try the Sorbonne. <laughs> People know about it. It's in a well lit environment. Doesn't look like a brothel dollhouse. She didn't actually look like a very good dancer. Maybe she couldn't couldn't get into one of the other schools. Maybe she couldn't go to the Sorbonne. Maybe. But then, okay, then go to cosmetology or auto repair school. <laughs> it's probably not happening over there. Okay, so are we off to a successful start to this year's Halloween marathon? How are we defining successful? Um, well, you didn't stop watching the movie halfway through. Okay, then sure. Yes, okay. we are off to a successful start. That's my bar for success in this experiment. All right. You did not refuse to finish the movie. I did not. I finished it. Okay. That's our show. We want to thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next week when we leave all this artsy-fartsy European lighting behind and go for some simple New World slice and dice. Next week, we'll be venturing into the woods with a bunch of horny teenagers for a summer camp double feature with 1980s Friday the 13th and 1983's Sleepaway Camp. You went to a summer camp as a child, didn't you? I did. I hated it. Okay. Well, I think And there this... wasn't even any scary shit going on. I just hated it. <laughs> I think that makes these perfect movies for you to watch then. Hmm. Both of these films are available for streaming rental from Amazon, iTunes, and other services. And I'll just say here that Sleepaway Camp is probably the lesser known, lesser viewed film, but it is deservedly notorious among horror aficionados. So I highly recommend checking that out if you haven't seen it. In the meantime, you can find us on the web at unaffiliatedcritic.com, follow us on Twitter at Free Range Critic, send an email to michael at unaffiliatedcritic.com, or leave us a review on iTunes. In any of these places, we encourage you to suggest just a film Nakia desperately needs to see to make her life complete. Until next time, remember, true love means making your partner watch incredibly gory movies that they really, really don't want to watch. This is some witchy shit. (laughs) It's all witchy shit? It's all witchy shit. I want to talk to the ghosts. I would love to have a ghost. I want to have a ghost. There are so many things. You have a PlayStation. Don't play that. (laughs) Like, so many things. Don't invite horror into your life. See, this is what's wrong with white people. Y'all always trying to open doors. You don't need to open. (laughs) Like, just, just, no. Yes, there's probably some, you know, shit happening in the ether. That's not my business. So, I don't need to engage at all. You pray that they're on your side and that they're good angels and they're watching over you. But, more than likely... They're waiting to, you know... Fuck you up. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. And then you got to get the old lady from, uh, what's it called, to come and clean the house. And it just... <laughs> from Poltergeist. Exactly. <laughs> I imagine she's expensive. <laughs> I- I'm going to go say Candyman a few times into See, the this mirror. See, this is what... Okay. So this is what you don't do as a partner of a person of color. Mm-hmm. You do not engage in behavior that will attract the police. You do not engage in behavior that will get me killed by some sort of otherworldly spirit. Those didn't, are the... didn't Candyman kill white people? Because he was killed by white people. I know. I'm just saying, if I'm summoning Candyman, it's really myself I'm putting it. But risk. he's not going to be like, oh, not I'm not going to kill the black chick. And the, like, I, I think, think he would. I don't think he would. I think we would both be dead.
And I'm not willing to risk the fact that Candyman will be like, oh, hey, sister, and not kill me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just not going to do that. And he like white bitches, so he probably would kill me. <laughs> Mm-mm.